This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Okay. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, uh, let me start off by apologizing for last week. I, I don't know what happened. I, I emailed the program into uh, um, KXXT, but they never got the email. Um, it was a weird snafu going on between us. Uh, I sent the email, then later on I got a, I saw an email later saying, hey, do you have the program for today? So I sent it again, and it, he never got it. Uh, we did eventually get it to him. And they uploaded it to the website, but I, I don't know what was happening. But this today, I'm going to make sure they get the program, and I'll verify it uh, before I just email it and go on about my day. And talking about going about our day, still in quarantine, and things are are looking a little. I don't know. It just it's just everything's upside down. What can you say about it? I mean. We're living in unprecedented times, and it's not what you just never saw this coming, did you? This is just a strange, strange thing. And I have talked about that on the radio program, in my lessons as well, and we, we could go over that all day again and again, but I don't want to do that. I want to continue to put our minds and our hearts focused on the things of God and look at those things. I know we're looking for uh, answers for some of this stuff. Some things we just don't know. Um, but I do know this. God is sitting on his throne. And I serve him. And no matter what happens in this life, I know where I am going. Now, last not last week, it was a couple of weeks ago, I did a lesson called Almost perfect. I've done it before on the program, but I redid it again. I wanted to change a few things. And I got a lot of really good feedback. If folks wanted me to continue the series, I said I probably would. So I'm going to do that today. And the second one on this series is Speaking Like an Adult. This is all based on Christian maturity. And I, I like the way this lesson starts off. It starts off with a, uh, a funny story about a man who was scheduled to speak for an appoint, uh, important business dinner. But as he was uh, eating his meal, he must have bitten down on something hard for uh, right at that moment, his false teeth, you know, his dentures broke in his mouth. Almost paralyzed by panic, he, he muttered to the man next to him, I can't believe this," he said. "My my false teeth just broke it, and I got to get up and speak in a few moments." Well, the man that he was whispering to whispered back, "No problem. I've got an extra pair you can use." And the man pulled out a few sets of false teeth out of his pocket and presented them to this frantic speaker. Uh, could, he could, couldn't believe it. He just his eyes went wide. He, he looked at him. He didn't even ask any questions. He, he tried the first pair. They were too tight. The second pair was too loose. But the third pair, man, they fit like a dream. Totally relieved. 
He sat back, greatly enjoyed his meal, and afterward delivered an excellent speech. At the end of the evening, the speaker walked up to his benefactor and thanked him for his help. He said to his rescuer, You really did me a great favor tonight. And you know, I've been looking for a good dentist. Where are you located? The other man smiled and replied, Oh, sir, I am not a dentist. I'm an undertaker. (laughs) Man, could you imagine that? There are people who find it uncomfortable to talk to anybody about anything. It wouldn't matter if they had their own teeth or if they were someone else's teeth. They would feel ill at ease teaching anybody about the Bible or God or Jesus. And actually, that attitude is not abnormal. If you recall, when God called Moses in the desert, remember uh, he appeared to him in the form of a burning bush, and there God commanded Moses to return to Egypt confront Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And so, in Exodus 4, verse 10, here's what Moses said to the Lord. Please, Lord, if I have never been, or I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Let me give you the translation on that. I don't want to go send somebody else. Right? It's interesting how God responds to Moses. Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Here's the translation on that. Don't give me your excuses. I don't want. Uh, I want you to do this. And if you ask, uh, and if I ask you to do something, I will supply you with the ability and the resources. Now get out there and do it. So, one of the things we learned last week was that God wants us to grow up to be like Him. He wants us to mature to the point where when people see us, they see his love. When they look at us, they they witness the mercy of God in us, in his holiness. And most of all, that when people see us being servants of others, they will see God. Just like Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 5 tells us, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we are all priests, and that as priests and mature servants, we need to grow up in our servanthood to God. In other words, if there's a job that we see that needs to be done in the church, we should do it, because... That's what grown-ups do, right? No priest of God sat down to worship. Uh, They were always working. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 tells us that you and I should always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I want to grab, uh, grab my Bible here. And in Hebrews chapter 5, I want to look over there at Hebrews chapter 5 real quick. Give me a moment. I'll turn my Bible over there. Apologize, I didn't already have it set up. I should have, you'd think. If I was mature, I would have been prepared. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, listen to what the Hebrew writer writes here. Concerning him, this is, he's talking about Melchizedek there. Concerning him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have uh, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. All right. Got my papers are all over the place now. Sorry. So, let's start here with point number one. We find that part of maturity, part of growing up as children of God, is getting to a point in our faith where we seek opportunities to teach others, to teach others. In fact, Paul writes that that this should even be part of our worship experience. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, that we should let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I, I, I love the way this starts. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You know, Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. To richly dwell in you. Richly, you know, that w- w- we, we know what that means, right? Richly. You know, this morning, we're, a lot of folks are getting the, they call it the stimulus checks. I, I call it getting my, my money back because I pay a lot in taxes every year. I, as a minister, I'm considered self-employed, so the, the church doesn't take out, you know, half, pay half the uh, Social Security or half my taxes like businesses do for most folks. So I got to pay everything every year, the whole bit. And uh, now if you had to do that, you'd be calling for tax cuts. So I got a little less than half of what I paid in my taxes back. And it came in this morning. I couldn't believe it. It was supposed to be tomorrow. But I looked at the account, there it was. Wow. Boy, that was richly added to my, uh, my bank account. Exploded all of a sudden. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How do you... 
If you want to get more money into your bank account, what do you need to do? You need more income, right? you got to work harder. And the more you work, the harder you work, the more income flow goes in there. But not just your job. Like uh, Jenny and I have been doing a lot of financial research. Actually, really, Jenny's been doing a lot of financial research. And she says that this guy that she's studying, you need to have like three or four in, uh, income resources flowing into your accounts. So my job... You know, like her job and something else and maybe another thing. And so we're trying to do that. And so you try to get all these things flowing into your account to to uh, grow the account. It's the exact same thing with letting Christ richly dwell within you. Some people think, well, I do that. I read my Bible every day. Well, okay, that's good. You need more resources. Don't just read it, okay? Study it also. And don't just do that. Dwell on those things. What about in prayer? What about in your songs? What about in the attitude you express when you, you're faced with a choice of either getting angry with somebody and then, or you, you choose to do the right thing, to, to act like Christ when you make that conscious decision? These are incomes flowing into your spiritual life, letting Christ richly dwell within you. And he goes on, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalm and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Teaching each other, admonishing and singing to each other is part of what we should be doing for our fellowship and for our fellow man. You know, teaching has always been a major part of the responsibility of God's people, and it lets Christ richly dwell within us when we do that. David taught this in his songs. Psalm 34, verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The law of Moses commanded parents to teach their children uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Paul advised Timothy to teach others in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And Titus was instructed in Titus 2, 1 to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Part of maturity, part of growing up is getting to a point in our faith where we seek the opportunities to teach others. Like the Hebrew writer says, you ought to be at a point where you could teach or where you are teaching others. You're not there. You ought to be. And that's not just for preachers, is it? It's for all Christians. We all ought to be there at this point. But some might say, Chris, I don't have the gift of teaching. And they're thinking of the passage out of Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through Eight. In fact, you know, let me grab my Bible. Rome, let me turn over here to Romans. All right. You can hear me turning in my Bible. Maybe you got yours open too. I don't know. God knows. Chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. It says this, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. All right. So, some might say, I don't have the gift of teaching. So I don't have to teach. But 
There is a fatal flaw to that argument. If, um, <clears throat> if I were to argue that I can't teach because I don't have the gift of teaching, then if I don't have the gift of serving, guess what? Because that wasn't that passage. If I don't have the gift of serving, does that mean I don't have to serve? What if I don't have the gift of contributing to the needs of others? I guess that means I don't have to. What if I don't have the gift of mercy? I don't have to be merciful? Well, we know that's silly. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What does that imply? If you don't give mercy, you don't receive mercy. From who, you think? God? From God. What God is telling us over here in Romans chapter 12 is that while everyone in the church should do things like show mercy and help others out and so on, some people have a special gift for those things. Those who are so gifted should use their gift humbly for God's kingdom. And while some people are gifted teachers, we... uh, We have uh, many in this congregation at North Valley. But God still expects you and I to grow to the point where we seek and teach others. It's part of being an adult Christian. Okay? It's a... Do I have time to go into this? I don't know. I'll say it a little bit. So, I know I don't have the gift of mercy. I don't have the, the abundance of it. doesn't mean I don't show it or I work at it. I, it just takes me a lot more effort. For other people, it almost comes naturally, and they're very good at it. God has given them a gift. And so what I ought to be doing is watching them, spending time with them, and learning from them so that I can grow in my mercy. I have gifts in other things, and I do well, but some I lack. And so I have to work harder at those. Maybe you do too. But think about that. Now, another reason some people draw back from uh, desiring to become teachers is that they believe teaching has to be done in a formal setting in a crowd. Oh, man. Now, as far as we know, the early church did not have Sunday school, right? Or youth groups or anything like that. In fact, they had no congregational buildings. They met in homes or public buildings on the street, anywhere they could find. And, and whenever they met, they worshipped God. Uh, they taught others about their faith. And if you remember the passage from Deuteronomy we read earlier, uh, or we looked at, that's how teaching has always been You know, at the, the dinner table. And I remember reading a story about a family who did just that. In their book, Together at Home, Dean and Grace Merrill Tale of the night they took their kids to a pizza parlor. Here's what they wrote. Quote, We decided to use the minutes waiting for our food as a teaching time. We passed pass out an index card and a pencil to each child and had them write down a new memory verse. Here's what they had them do. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Then we said, Let's watch this waitress and see what kind of worker she is. Do you think she is working with all her heart? Man, the kids never took their eyes off her. Their half 
whispered comments continued in a steady stream. She sure was nice about bringing extra napkins. She has to stand up all the time. She's not crabby. And the waitress never knew she was being scrutinized. By the end of the meal, the children not only had a scripture nailed down, but also had done an on-site study of its meaning. So you see, teaching doesn't have to be in a formal setting, right? Nor do you need a whiteboard or, or a lectern to teach people. No. But why is, uh, why is it so important to God that we, all of us, get involved in teaching? Well, three reasons, actually. Number one, if we don't make teaching others a priority in our lives, heresy is just waiting to slip in. Uh, One lady wrote about a children's Sunday school class that she once took part in. Uh, She had assigned homework to read Isaiah 9, and the next week she asked the class how many remembered to read the chapter. Every hand went up. Oh, wonderful, she thought. We can have a great discussion. Do you remember the first verse? Silence. While a few of the youngsters paged furiously through their Bibles trying to find Isaiah. So she said, I'll give you a bit of help. The people who walked in darkness, no answer. And then she said, I have a candy bar for the first one who can complete the verse. Instantly, she was besieged by answers. Uh, Use less electricity, said one. Stub their toes uh, a lot, said another. Spends a lot of time sleeping. And about that time, someone finally found Isaiah 9 and simply read, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now, granted, this was a class of kids who didn't know any better. But notice, since they didn't know the scripture very well, they simply injected whatever seemed reasonable to them at the time. We do that too. When unfamiliar with God's word and lacking the desire to know it well enough to teach it to others, many churchgoers substitute their opinions, even defying scripture, because they believe their approach is more reasonable. Without the constant stress on the Bible and what it teaches, people easily slip into heresy. Ephesians 4.14 tells us when a church stresses teaching the way it should, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now, secondly... If we don't grasp the importance of teaching, we can slip into worldly and pagan attitudes in our lives. That's what happened in Corinth. And Paul told them, you know, at this moment you should be eating meat, but you're not ready. You're still on milk, but you ought to be more mature, but you're not. You're immature. I'm paraphrasing that. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through, through 3. Here's what the passage actually says. <clears throat> and brethren could uh, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are f- still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Oh, man. You can hear it, can't you? They they weren't ready. Here's the last 
reason. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the last reason why it's important to uh, to God that we all we all get involved in teaching. I'm going to give um, give you about. Well, let's just go. The importance of seeking to grow into being able to teach. Uh, I should re- reword that, but that's, it's probably the most important. It goes to the very heart of why Christianity is the most powerful religion in the world. David wrote this in the 119th Psalm, verse 98. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Paul had that in mind also in 2 Corinthians 10. In fact, let, let me turn in my Bible over there right now, 2, cha- 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What is this weapon we have that can demolish fortresses and destroy speculations and wipe away every lofty idea? It's the sword of the Spirit. It's God's Word. It's so powerful. The Hebrew writer said it was piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The dedication of the early church to God's word is one of the major reasons Christianity is the most powerful religion in the world. Islam, during its first 200 years, spread its faith by force of arms and intimidation. Over 200,000 people died as a result of Muhammad's teaching. By contrast, during the first 300 years uh, or more of Christianity's existence, the church had no standing army, no terrorist underground, no armed force of any kind. The only people who died as a result of the Christian faith were Christians. Martyrs who died by stoning, beheading, crucifixion, offerings in the Colosseums of Rome. And yet Christianity persevered to eventually conquer the entire empire of Rome. It was not by the force of arms, but by the power of God's word, learned and taught by thousands of faithful believers. And so that should be our goal as well. I can, man, the the taskmaster time is on me. I have to bring this to a close. I apologize for ending it so abrupt. But think about those things. Study it out and grow and be a mature man, a mature woman of God. Thank you, and God bless. Sitting up to sweep away till she on the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.